Revelation chapter 10 uh, again, if you're not already there. Title of the message this morning is The Angel and the Book. Not not a very original title or anything too catchy. Pretty much just a title that describes what we're going to be talking about as we find ourselves in this uh, another one of these intermission periods uh, in the book of Revelation. And like I mentioned last week, uh, even though we're seeing these uh, visions of John and the things that he sees, it doesn't, and they're kind of strange to us, and today is uh, no exception with uh, this gigantic angel that can stand on the ocean and the land, and John is eating a book, and these kinds of things that are uh, kind of strange. It doesn't mean that just because they are odd or outside of what we normally experience that we just get to make up the, uh, the meaning of what they are. We still want to take, take it from the text or, or derive our meaning from the text and compare what we see here to other places in the Bible and then we can be pretty confident that uh, we're coming away with the right interpretation that comes from Scripture, not, not just our own, our own imaginations, as we'll, as we'll see some of the other interpretations of this, uh, I would say, certainly are. Just uh, the imaginations of, of people, the men, the interpreters. Uh, this section of the book uh, comes in the third and really final section of the outline, which is described in Revelation 1.19, if you'll remember. Jesus' commission to John, he tells him to write the things which you have seen, the things which are, and the things which will take place after these things, implying that, that uh, what we are covering now is the future. It's not the past, uh, at least from the time of when John is writing, and there's certainly future events. And we, as people who do our best to consistently interpret the Bible literally, understand that these events that John is describing have not taken place in the past. You have to do a lot of uh, stretching, to say the least, to come up with historical events that match precisely what is being described. So we believe that they will take place, however, in the future. That's why we are futurists uh, and have a futurist interpretation of Revelation. We see these things as taking place still in the future from even present day. And we know that because Revelation chapter 6, beginning in Revelation chapter 6, we are what is being described is the tribulation Period, a seven-year period of time that leads into Jesus' second coming and establishment of the kingdom. So that's what uh, Revelation 6 through 19 and verse 21 is, the seven-year tribulation period, which most certainly is not happening today, even if there is a, a blood moon, uh, quote-unquote, a lunar eclipse. That doesn't mean we're living in the tribulation period. Uh, so we will continue that today. Uh, and there's our chart that shows these things are future events. Here we are in the church age, the rapture, like we learned about in Sunday school this morning, we'll close the church age. Then at some point subsequent to the rapture, the first seal of the scroll, if you'll remember, that was introduced in chapter 5, was broken, and that is what began the tribulation period, the seven-year future tribulation period that will uh, end with Christ coming again. But that began with the first seal, that pseudo-peace, the rider on the white horse, kind of an imitation Christ, if you'll remember. That is the beginning of the tribulation period. We saw that uh, 
again, based on a literal interpretation, that rider on the white horse is an imitation Christ. That's the Antichrist. The seven-year period of tribulate, the capital T tribulation, uh, will begin with the appearance of this Antichrist who is going to bring a pretend peace or a pseudo-peace to the world. That will shortly end with war, famine, death, martyrdom on an unprecedented scale, uh, signs in the earth, signs in the heavens. And then the seventh seal brought about the place where we are find ourselves today or, uh, in our study now in the trumpet judgments. And we see that the, the seals lead into the trumpets, which lead into the bowls. Uh, as we make our way further into this intermission period, it's going to go all the way from chapter 10, today's uh, place where we are, all the way up to chapter 15, a longer break, is going to be describing uh, generally things that are taking place uh, during what we have already seen, and even looking forward to events that will take place at the end of the tribulation period. We'll see that in chapter 11. And personally, I would put all of what we have seen so far in the first half of the tribulation, and we'll get into more into why I think that when we get to chapter 13, which will be describing this Antichrist in great detail. And, one, and the midpoint, every person who believes in a seven-year tribulation period understands the midpoint is when the Antichrist sets himself up to be worshipped in the Jewish temple. And that's uh, even the, the book of Daniel describes that. Jesus Christ himself described that and used this phrase, the abomination of desolation. That is the middle point of the tribulation or three and a half years in. And then another three and a half years, sometimes referred to as the great tribulation, I would uh, submit to you as this, these seven bold judgments ending with Christ coming again. But back to the trumpet judgments, we've already covered six of them. Uh, hail, fire, and blood, the earth being part of the earth being burned, the green grass being destroyed. Uh, the second trumpet, something like a great mountain, flaming mountain came out of the sky, hit the ocean, destroyed uh, one third of all the ships on the ocean. We saw what a massive number that is, killing a third of the sea life uh, and a third of the sea turning to blood. Obviously, a, a, a massive loss of life in that. Third trumpet judgment, more people are going to die from the fresh water being made bitter in that judgment. The fourth trumpet judgment, again, the sun loses, perhaps loses part of its strength, maybe is dark, darkened for a period of the day. One third of the sun is mentioned, a third of the moon, a third of the stars uh, being darkened or losing their power, something along those lines, something again that was prophesied about in the Old Testament and by Christ himself mentioning these things. And then we saw an eagle that was flying through, through the skies, essentially, the mid-heaven, if you'll remember, declaring that, this is, that there are about to be three more woes upon the earth. You think it's been bad so far, as we've lost at least more than a quarter of the world's population has already uh, died. Well, it's only going to get worse. And then with the fifth trumpet, an angel comes, releases these demons from the abyss, and they, they don't kill anyone, but they cause uh, such anguish to people that they wish that they would die, but they will not. They're not allowed to. The 144,000 were exempt from this demonic attack. And then last time, uh, we saw the sixth trumpet judgment, which is another, we came to the conclusion that's another demonic attack this demonic army that is released really upon the entire world that is allowed to kill one third of mankind uh, with fire, smoke, and brimstone. 200 million 
uh, rider army that is released upon the world. And the result of that is that everybody decides, oh, God, you were right. Uh, We're wrong. And we're sorry for what we've done. We trust in you instead of our idols. Of course, that's not what happened. The people refused to repent. And this is uh, the end of, this is only the first woe. There are about to be two more woes that come upon the world that are even worse than this. But another third of mankind has died, so now we're down to a a world population that is uh, adding up the other deaths from the wars. We're less than half of the world's population from when the, the tribulation period began. And so the world needs a break. <laughs> and that's uh, what God is going to give them here, at least in, in uh, terms of revelation anyway, we get this kind of break where the, the chronology of the book is not going to carry on here at all. This is, a, this is a review. This is going to be seeing some of the highlights of things that weren't covered when uh, God is giving to John a description of the events, well, we're going to see some of the behind-the-scenes uh, things that are taking place during these judgments and, and getting some more insight into uh, these, these events. And it, it's going to begin with the angel and the book, or the little, the little book, or the little scroll. And so today we'll see this strong angel Seven peals of thunder, the solemn statement, and the strange supper that John has at the end of the chapter. It begins with this strong angel that we see in verse 1 of chapter 10. Notice the language closely. It says, I saw another strong angel coming down out of heaven, clothed with a cloud, And the rainbow was upon his head, and his face was like the sun, and his feet like pillars of fire, and he had in his hand a little book which was open. He placed his right foot on the sea and his left on the land, and he cried out with a loud voice as when a lion roars. When he had cried out, the seven peals of thunder uttered their uh, voices. Notice again that John is the one who sees this strong angel. Again, uh, just to reiterate this fact that John is the eyewitness. He is the one who is seeing these things. Uh, His audience would have been intimately familiar with him uh, as John the Apostle, the one that Jesus loved, the, the, the people in the seven churches that are the original recipients of this book knew who John was, and they most certainly would have trusted him as an eyewitness to these events. So when he says, I saw another strong angel coming down out of heaven, they would have immediately thought, John saw another strong angel coming down out of heaven. And he is relaying to us exactly what he saw. And we, as the 21st century church, uh, shouldn't get overly spiritual with our, and think too highly of ourselves and say, you know, oh, John, he must have not gotten enough sleep that day or something, and he's seeing things. No, he is an eyewitness to this, and we can accept it just uh, the same way that uh, his original audience would have accepted what he was saying. So, Again, if you remember, at the end of the fourth trumpet judgment, we had the eagle flying through the sky saying that there is coming three more woes upon the earth. Uh, The first woe was the locust plague. I might have misspoke earlier. The second woe was the sixth trumpet judgment. And this is really what we are seeing here is still kind of contained within that second woe, which will uh, take place, which will be completed in Revelation eleven fourteen, where it says the second woe is past. Behold, the third woe is coming quickly. So this uh, Revelation 10, most of Revelation 11 describing the, uh, the two witnesses. 
that is something that is taking place within this second woe. And then the third woe will be subsequent uh, to that. Notice that that phrase there in the beginning. Not only does uh, John see this strong angel, but it is another strong angel. The the Greek term there being alos, which technically means something that is distinguished from a previously mentioned subject. So have we seen uh, strong angels in the book of Revelation already? Yes. In fact, we have Revelation 5.2, And I saw a strong angel proclaiming with a loud voice, Who is worthy to open the book and to break its seals? And when we studied that, uh, we know who the one is who was able to open the scroll. Jesus Christ, the Lamb. He is separate from the strong angel mentioned there in uh, Revelation 5.2. Clearly, must, by definition, be somebody, some being different than the one who is asking the question, who is worthy to open the seals? Well, Jesus Christ, the Lamb, uh, standing as if slain was the one who is worthy. We also saw a strong angel in Revelation uh, chapter 8 and verse 3. He doesn't technically have the qualifier there uh, as that is strong, but Revelation 8.3, another angel came and stood at the altar holding the golden censer. So here we have another allos, something that is like the ones that have been described already, but distinct from, or another of the same kind. So all of that is to say, essentially, that this is an angel. It's not Jesus. It's not uh, some, somebody else, something else. It is another strong angel, one that is uh, separate from angels that we have already seen. So there's more than one strong angel. Uh, what is his name? I'm not sure. Uh, the Bible doesn't tell us. So we, we, you know, we can guess, and that's exactly what it would be. would be a guess. Your guess is as good as my guess, as good as John Wolvert's guess, or Charles Ryrie's guess, or anybody's guess. There would simply be guesses uh, because the Bible doesn't tell us. Also notice that there's a change of scenery. If you'll remember, back in the the beginning of Revelation 4, John is taken from Patmos, I believe physically taken up. That's what's described. He is taken up to heaven. Revelation 4, 1, After these things I looked, and behold, a door standing open in heaven, and the first voice which I had heard, like the sound of a trumpet speaking with me, said, Come up here, and I will show you what must take place after these things. Immediately I was in the Spirit, and behold, a throne standing in heaven, and one sitting on the throne. So John is taken up to heaven and allowed to see Uh, the scene there in the throne room and to receive this revelation of things that will take place in the future. Well, here, another strong angel is coming down out of heaven. So John uh, is witnessing this, seeing this angel coming down. So somewhere in there, whether it was immediately before this, John is back uh, on the earth, witnessing these events. And that's going to be something that pretty much carries uh, on through the rest, the rest of Revelation. <laughs> it's probably best to see that uh, John is on, on the earth for the rest of, of what is being written. And, and you know, is that super important? I'm not really sure. Just interesting to note. We have another, uh, another instance of this, Revelation 18. After these things, I saw another angel coming down from heaven. So clearly he's on the earth. Angel is coming down. Revelation chapter 
20 in verse 1, then I saw an angel coming down from heaven, holding the key of the abyss. So these angels coming from heaven to the earth to uh, carry out their missions for the Lord. Next, notice the clothing of this angel. Uh, this is where people will get the idea that this is that this is Christ, uh, kind of disregarding what has come before. It's very important to keep everything. We saw an example of that in in Sunday school. Uh, also, this morning, the, we have to keep in our minds the entire context of uh, this. Is even one sentence? Don't want to forget the things that come before and say, "Oh, this must be Jesus," because. This angel is clothed with a cloud and the rainbow was upon his head and his face was like the sun and his feet like pillars of fire, uh, which in other places, these same kinds of uh, articles are used to describe things that Jesus is doing. Uh, even in the book of Revelation, Revelation 1, 7, uh, the entire point of the book is that Jesus is coming again with the clouds. He's going to come again uh, to this earth in the clouds. Uh, John saw a rainbow that surrounded the throne of God, if you'll remember, in Revelation 4 and 5. Obviously, a symbol that God uses and that is uh, in his home even. And the rainbow is such an interesting, uh, such an interesting symbol and an interesting thing that we see uh, even in the sky today. It dealt with a lot of uh, uh, weather this past week and uh, had to actually get around and through some storms down in Florida, and it wasn't a lot of fun. We get to the other side and whoop, there's a rainbow on the other side, and it's it, it, a wonderful reminder of God's faithfulness, God's mercy on us. Uh, thunderstorms uh, obviously can do a lot of damage. Tornadoes and these kinds of things can do a lot of damage to uh, people on the ground and people in the air also. And you come through the storm and see a rainbow, and you've made it through safely. A wonderful reminder of who God is and the fact that he is faithful to us. And of course, we all know that, that the symbol has been hijacked by others and yeah, that, that's, that's fine. It, it's not fine, but we don't have to get too distraught about that. We just need to remember what the Bible says about the, the rainbow uh, that we see in the sky, the real rainbow. It is a reminder to us that God is uh, merciful in the midst of judgment. Genesis chapter 9 and verse 8, after the flood, after the waters had receded, uh, the Bible says this, then God spoke to Noah and to his sons with him saying, now behold, I myself do establish my covenant with you and with your descendants after you, and with every living creature that is with you, the birds, the cattle, and every beast of the earth with you, of all that comes out of the ark, even every beast of the earth, I establish my covenant with you, and with all flesh uh, shall never again, and, and all flesh shall never again be cut off by the water of the flood, neither shall there again, be a flood to destroy the earth. And it goes on from there all the way down through uh, chapter, or verse 17 of Genesis 9, describing this Noahic covenant, this promise from God that he will never again destroy every living thing like he did before in a flood. Uh, so in spite of how bad things may seem in our lives now, uh, in spite of how bad they are going to be in the future, in the tribulation, this angel coming with a rainbow around it, a wonderful symbol should be that God is merciful. He is faithful. Even though half of the world's population has died up to this point, some portion of the rest of the other half is going to survive if you will just simply trust 
in him, you will be able to survive. A a wonderful message for the earth dwellers uh, in the time of tribulation. And I I pray that, that, and I know that the Bible will be preserved through this. And, and you can picture in your, in your head, them, the people during the tribulation period, reading this and seeing this angel coming with a rainbow. God is merciful. He is faithful. He will, he will hold up his end of the bargain. I can assure you of that. He will never utterly destroy mankind Again, we can take that to the bank. Notice also that this angel has a face like the sun and feet of fire, symbolic of God's holiness. So this this angel is essentially given the attributes of God. He doesn't possess them himself like God does. When you see God, you see Christ, uh, on the Mount of Transfiguration, for example, and his glory just shines out of his very being. Well, this, this angel, notice, is clothed with a cloud and the rainbow was upon his head and his face shone like the sun. It, he was uh, passively clothed. It even, uh, the language even describes it as he was clothed by someone or something else. He was clothed by God with these attributes to demonstrate the attributes of God, of which one of which is his holiness that is uh, symbolized in his face like the sun and his feet like fire. First Timothy 6, 16, speaking of God, speaking, uh, of God says, who alone possesses immortality and dwells in unapproachable light, whom no man has seen or can see. To him be honor and eternal dominion. Amen. Notice also that this angel, who is uh, kind of dressed in the clothes of God, if you will, also has in his hand this little scroll, verse 2. And he had in his hand a little book, which was open. He placed his right foot on the sea and his left on the land. So this word that here is uh, translated in the NASB as little book is kind of interesting. Biblion was the, the term in back in chapter 5 for the seven sealed scroll. Uh, this is a, is a different term, Biblaridion, I believe is how you would pronounce that. And it, it literally means little scroll, small or little book, making it different from the scroll that is in uh, the original scroll, Revelation 5, the seven sealed scroll. This is a different scroll than that. Some commentators will uh, go to the fact that, oh, this scroll is open, so that that the seven-sealed scroll at this point is open also, that's what this is. Well, mm, this is a little scroll. It's not the same scroll. It's literally a different word that is used to uh, to describe it. Now, the historicists will have some interesting uh, ideas about what this is. Again, uh, Matthew Henry being an example of a, of a truly of a historicist. If you remember their, their idea is that essentially this uh, entirety since Revelation 6 is describing essentially the history of the world from the uh, time of Christ leading up to well, even the the present day for for them when they were coming up with this theory, well, this Revelation chapter ten is not in their mind a a break in the action. It's a continuation of of history, and this is describing the revelate the the Reformation period. So the little scroll is the Bible. And it's uh, Luther is kind of bringing the Bible back to people and they eat it, understand, understanding that to be, you know, okay, the Bible is being reintroduced into the world. 
uh, and on and on, assigning you know, meaning to every single symbol and these kinds of things and seeing it taking place in history. Uh, and again, interesting idea. Not exactly sure that that's a good way to interpret the Bible. There's literally nowhere else that you could go in Scripture and, and say, oh, yeah, okay, here the Reformation is being described back here in Ezekiel also. So you're really kind of uh, stretching, to say the least, your interpretation if you're seeing the Reformation being in this angel delivering a scroll to, to John. Uh, the, the preterist, if you remember, they are the ones who essentially think that the book of Revelation is describing uh, 70 A.D., uh, and or AD 70 and the time of the the Israelites and the Jerusalem being destroyed by the Romans and so they're going to see this scroll as being the same as the scroll from Revelation chapter 5 uh, spirit spiritualists or or idealist interpretation essentially going to be the same uh, idea it's the same scroll as we've already seen again that's why we kind of just mentioned these things. Yeah, it's two different words. So it's probably describing two different scrolls. Uh, and we'll get more into what the scroll actually is when we get to uh, the later verses talking about John eating it. But in a nutshell, it's going to be, I would come down on the conclusion that the little scroll is probably describing some of the events that are going to take place. Hence the bitterness and the, and the, the honey and the bitterness, the honey part is going to be that John is here commissioned, recommissioned, if you will, to give this message. Ah, I'm John would be saying I'm God's messenger. That's pretty important. That's sweet in his mouth, but the message is pretty bitter that he has to deliver to the world. And this is, this is uh, an event that is in keeping with things that have taken place in the past. Ezekiel chapter 2 and verse 8 says, Now you, son of man, listen to what I am speaking to you. Do not be rebellious like the rebellious house. Open your mouth and eat what I am giving you. Then I looked and behold, a hand was extended to me and lo, a scroll was in it. Ezekiel is saying, when he had spread it out before me, it was written on the front and back and written on it were lamentations, mourning and woe. Then he said to me, son of man, eat what you find, eat this scroll, go and speak to the house of Israel. So I opened my mouth and he fed me this scroll. He said to me, son of man, feed your stomach and fill your body with this scroll, which I am giving you. Then I ate it and it was sweet as honey in my mouth. Very similar to what John is experiencing. Uh, he, he has to be, I don't want to give away the end, but he has to be prepared uh, to give the message. And then he does it. Notice also, not just the possession of the angel, but also the position of the angel. He has one foot on the sea and one foot on the land, demonstrating to us that this is a universal message. The Bible often symbolically will divide the world uh, into two groups, uh, not even symbolically. The world is divided into two groups, the Jewish people and the Gentile people. Jewish people symbolically are referred to in the Bible uh, many times as the land because they have the land has been given to them. God's land has been given to the Israelite people and the Gentile world, the rest of the world is oftentimes referred to as the seas or the ocean, these kinds of things. This angel is standing on both and has a message. This is a universal message. Uh, Revelation 10, 11 shows us that. And they said to me, you must prophesy again concerning many peoples and nations and tongues and Kings. This message that John is, is, has delivered and will continue to deliver in the rest of Revelation is a message for the entire world. So this, this strong angel descends from heaven 
has this, is clothed in the kind of the attributes, at least symbolically, of God. And he has this little scroll in his hand and he cries out with a loud voice. And then we see these seven peals of thunder. When the angel cried out with a loud voice as when a lion roars. And when he had cried out, the seven peals of thunder uttered their voices. When the seven peals of thunder had spoken, I was about to write and I heard a voice from heaven saying, seal up the things which the seven peals of thunder have spoken and do not write them. So this angel, first off, cries out like a lion, symbolic of God's judgment. You can see that in the book of Isaiah uh, 31 and verse 4, a lion is roaring. It's like God's judgment. Hosea 11.10, very similar. Uh, Hosea 11.10, they will walk after the Lord. He will roar like a lion. Indeed, he will roar and his sons will come trembling from the west. So again, this angel being uh, carrying out things that are on God's behalf and are very similar to things that God himself uh, will do. This angel, uh, just like the term is, is, actually is, he is a messenger for God. So of course he's going to uh, do a lot of the same things that God uh, himself does. But then notice that the these seven peals of thunder actually speak. They it's not just uh, crashing thunder and lightning like we uh, had last night and yesterday. It's the there's a voice behind it. They are uttering uh, words. And uh, John, when he hears these words, of course. He is about to write that down. Okay, I'm hearing this is being transmitted to me. I'm going to write this down and include it in uh, the book of Revelation. And so I personally am going to come down on the idea that the seven peals of thunder are very similar to the seven spirits of God. This is the voice of God that is that is speaking to uh, John here. And so he's going to include it in the book, because he knows this is God's voice. Uh, and clearly, uh, in another place, Psalm 29, verses 3 through 9, the voice of God is uh, likened to thunder as well. Notice Psalm 29 in verse 3. It says, The voice of the Lord is upon the waters. The glory of God thunders. The Lord is over many waters. The voice of the Lord is powerful. The voice of the Lord is majestic. The voice of the Lord breaks the cedars. Yes, the, the Lord breaks in pieces the cedars of Lebanon. He makes Lebanon skip like a calf and Syrian like a, a young wild ox. The voice of the Lord hews out flames of fire. The voice of the Lord shakes the wilderness. The Lord shakes the wilderness of Kadesh. The voice of the Lord makes the deer to calve and strips the forest bare. And in his temple, everything says glory. That's what John heard. He heard the voice of God. He wants to include it in the, in the revelation. However, he hears another voice that says, seal up the things which the seven peals of thunder have spoken and do not write them. Very different from what uh, Revelation 1.11 said when uh, John originally received his commission to write this book. He is essentially told to write down everything that you hear. And now here uh, he's told not to write down at least part of it. This part of it isn't allowed to be uh, included in the book of Revelation. Now, again, uh, what is it? I really don't know. <laughs> Clearly, the, the Bible doesn't tell us what it is. Similar to what happened to Daniel. Daniel chapter 12 and verse 4 says, But as for you, if you remember, Daniel 12 is a description of the tribulation period. Uh, I think Daniel probably got a lot of the information or at least some of the information that John is receiving for the book of Revelation. However, he was told not to write 
everything that he heard. Revelation 12, 4, but as for you, Daniel, conceal these words and seal up the book until the end of time. Many will go back and forth and knowledge will increase. Uh, Daniel 12, 9, he said, go, go your way, Daniel, for these words are concealed and sealed up until the end time. Uh, so God doesn't, uh, for whatever reason, doesn't want us to have all of the information. Uh, we don't know what this says, and we don't know what we don't know. And we shouldn't, shouldn't make up things to uh, fill, in, fill in the blanks. We just leave it as a, as a mystery as to what was actually spoken there. There's, there's no reason to speculate about it. We did get some of the information that, was, that Daniel sealed up and concealed, was concealed until the time that John wrote. Uh, people didn't have these details of the end time. So we should take that as a blessing and not uh, hold it against God that he's not telling us everything. I can assure all of us that there's a good reason why he hasn't uh, revealed those things to us. Next, notice the solemn statement beginning in verse 5 of Revelation 10. It says, Then the angel whom I saw standing on the sea and on the land lifted up his right hand to heaven and swore by him who lives forever and ever, who created heaven and the things in it and the earth and the things in it and the sea and the things in it, that there will be delay no longer. But in the days of the voice of the seventh angel, when he is about to sound, then the mystery of God is finished as he preached to his servants, the prophets. This angel uh, raises his hand uh, as you know, symbolic of the fact that he's telling the truth, that he is, he's relating this solemn statement. It says that, uh, that he lifted up his right hand to heaven and swore by God himself that the things that he's going to say are true. Of course, reminiscent of we, uh, you may perhaps do the same thing if you have to testify in a court of law, raise your right hand, you join the Boy Scouts, you raise your hand. Same kind of, uh, same kind of idea here. Uh, it, re-enlisting in the, Navy, in the military, joining, uh, joining the military, you do the same, same kind of thing. It's just a way of stating that what you're saying is true, and I, I promise to carry this out. The angel doing the same thing uh, and that essentially that this is going to come to a conclusion. What I am trying to do, God, what God is trying to do here will be concluded uh, in the days of the voice of the seventh angel when he is about to sound, then the mystery of God is finished. God will accomplish his purpose of restoring the creation to the way he wants it to be. We can take that to the bank. Deuteronomy 32 verses 36 through 43. God promised that he was going to do this before the Israelites even went into the land. Uh, he promised that he was going to conclude this in this way. Uh, you can read that and again, Deuteronomy 32. We won't take the time to do that. Uh, Daniel chapter 12 and verse 7, a shorter version. Uh, Daniel 12, 7 says, I heard the man dressed in linen who was above the waters of the river uh, as he raised his right hand and his left toward heaven and swore by him who lives forever that it would be for a time times and half a time. And as soon as they finish shattering the power of the holy people and all these events will be completed. A time, times, and half a time, that's three and a half years. So the, the, the time of the very end is going to be three and a half years and then it will be completed. John, coincidentally enough, sees a very similar event take place here with an angel describing to him that the end will take place. It will be finished. And it is a promise according to God based on his 
attributes. Notice again, verse 6, He swore by Him who lives forever and ever. God, of course, is eternal and immortal. 1 Timothy 1.17, Jesus Christ shares this eternality and uh, immortality. Now to the King eternal, immortal, invisible, the only God, be honor and glory forever and ever. Amen. He is the creator of all things seen and all things not seen, things uh, in heaven and the things in it, the, uh, the earth, the things in it, the sea and the things in it, Revelation 10, 6 tells us, uh, indicating that, that God is the creator. <laughs> Uh, the, this world isn't here by chance. There wasn't a, a big bang and everything just sort of coalesced and presto, we're here on this planet with just enough water, just enough air to breathe at just the right distance from a, a light source and a heat source to maintain life. And wow, we're so lucky, so lucky that we developed eyes over millions and billions of years to be able to see and uh, a digestive tract to get rid of waste and so that we can get nutrition from things that just by chance happen to grow in the ground and uh, water that we that just happens to be here that we can drink and it like the book the title of the book I don't have enough faith to be an atheist to think that this just came about by chance. I do have enough faith to believe that God created everything that we see. Hebrews 11.3, by faith, we understand that the worlds were prepared by the word of God so that what is seen was not made out of things which are visible. Ex nihilo, God created the world out of nothing. He spoke it into existence. We believe that by faith. And this seventh angel uh, is going to bring all things to an end. Uh, and we see that end witnessed in Revelation eleven fifteen through 19. Like I mentioned, uh, kind of in the introduction that this intermission period it looks forward to some things that will happen in the future. That's what Verses 15 through 19 are of Revelation 11. And it also looks back to some other uh, things that are taking place in this first half. And this, th it is going to be completed in the bold judgments. Time, times, and a half a time. Three and a half years brings the end. This great tribulation, sometimes referred to as the great tribulation. We'll see that in Revelation 16 through 19. And this is as the prophets revealed this mystery of God. A mystery is not something we have to figure out. If you'll remember Mysterion, it is uh, a truth that is revealed. That's what the term means. It's not a, a mystery that we know and we don't want anybody else to know. No, a mystery in the Bible is, is revealing the truth kind of ex the exact opposite of what, of what we uh, typically think of a mystery to be. The prophets revealed this mystery. So this isn't the mystery of uh, the church or the mystery of the rapture or something like that. There are a lot of mysteries in the Bible. This is a mystery. It specifically says that it was revealed uh, by the prophets, verse 7, but in the days of the voice of the seventh angel, when he is about to sound, then the mystery of God is finished as he preached to his servants, the prophets. Well, who are his servants, the prophets? Well, Moses is one of them. Deuteronomy 4.30, did you know there was so much prophecy in the book of end times prophecy in particular in the book of Deuteronomy? There, there actually is a lot. Deuteronomy 4.30, when you are in distress and all these things have come upon you in the latter days, you will return to the Lord your God and listen to his voice. Jeremiah 30 verses 4 
through 7. Now these are the words which the Lord spoke concerning Israel and concerning Judah. For thus says the Lord, I have heard a sound of terror, of dread, and there is no peace. Ask now and see if a man can give birth. Why do I see every man with his hands on his loins and as a woman in childbirth? And why have all the faces turned pale? Alas, for that day is great. There is none like it. And it is the time of Jacob's distress, but he will be saved from it. And we are going to take the time to read all of these other passages that describe this end times period that leads into God fulfilling his word, fulfilling this promise that life will be as he designed it to originally be upon this very earth that we are living on today. We know that period to be the kingdom period, the, the messianic kingdom. That That is going to be uh, transitioning into the eternal state the way God designed life to be in this world. And this is something that has been revealed, Old and New Testament. God is going to accomplish this. And then notice the strange supper that John uh, partakes in here. Revelation 10 and verse 8, Then the voice which I heard from heaven I heard again, speaking with me and saying, Go take the book which is open in the hand of the angel who stands on the sea and on the land. So I went to the angel telling him to give me the little book. And he said to me, take it and eat it. It will make your stomach bitter, but in your mouth it will be sweet as honey. I took the little book out of the angel's hand and ate it. And in my mouth it was sweet as honey. And when I had eaten it, my stomach was made bitter. And they said to me, you must prophesy again concerning many peoples and nations and tongues and kings. Uh, John, again, hears this uh, voice from heaven. It says, then the voice which I heard from heaven, again, pointing to the fact that he is on the earth again, unlike when he was taken to uh, heaven. And he takes the scroll. Uh, again, don't need to go into an incredible amount of detail about what the scroll is uh, or what the other ideas are of what the scroll is. Uh, it's not going to be the uh, title deed to the earth. Remember, we talked about that being one of the options for for. The original scroll, well, some people will even say, well, this is a little title deed to the earth. Uh, and, you know, that's okay, interesting, but nowhere mentioned in Revelation is this idea of a title deed to the earth. What is mentioned is the judgment that's poured out upon the earth, and that's what's taking place every time the seals are broken, more judgment. Trumpets are blown, more judgment. Bowls poured out, we'll see more judgment. That's what is contained uh, in the scroll. Uh, and this scroll is not the scroll from chapter 5. And uh, furthermore, why would John eat the title deed to the earth? It just doesn't uh, really make a lot of sense. Some people will see that this scroll is describing the rest of Revelation, uh, Revelation 12 through 22. And uh, that's possible, but that's kind of separating from the the sixth trumpet from the seventh trumpet, which is in the original, which comes out of the original scroll. So it just gets kind of complex. There's got to be a better uh, answer and, a, and an answer that answers the most questions has the least amount of difficulties is that this is simply John's uh, recommissioning, if you will. He's renewing his vows to be faithful to what God has originally told him to do to write this book, and he agrees to do it. That's why he's told to take and eat the book. He is being prepared again to prophesy more. We know that from 
verse 11, when he actually receives the commissioning to go out and give these, the rest of these words, be prepared to prophesy. Uh, Jeremiah had a similar experience. Ezekiel, we read earlier, took the scroll that was written on both the front and the back and he consumed it. He was being prepared to be a prophet. Here's one for anybody who stands in, in, a, in a pulpit and teaches uh, other people. Second Timothy 2.15, we're kind of expected to do the same thing. Be diligent, Paul says to Timothy, be diligent to present yourself approved to God as a workman who does not need to be ashamed, accurately handling the word of truth. Uh, John, obviously receiving a special commission, is literally given this scroll to eat, and then he's prepared to go out and do what he's supposed to do. Well, we have God's word also, and we need to be uh, consuming it uh, through reading it, understanding it, comprehending it, memorizing it, and then being able to give it out to other people. And this idea of taking and eating, it's something we're very familiar with. The communion table uh, is, it is a demonstration of your belief in what is being given to you and Importantly, a demonstration of your commitment to faithfulness to the things that you are uh, believing, believing in. We see that in Matthew 26, verses 26 through 28 passage. Obviously, we're all very familiar with the Last uh, Supper, if you will. Jesus says, while they were or Matthew 26, 26 says, while they were eating, Jesus took some bread and after a blessing, he broke it and gave it to the disciples and said, take, eat, this is my body. And when he had taken a cup and given thanks, he gave it to them saying, drink from it, all of you, for this is my blood of the new covenant, which is poured out for many for forgiveness of sin. So we know that when we're taking communion, uh, it's really a reminder of what Christ did for us in dying for our sins. And by partaking it, taking it into ourselves, we're saying, yes, I believe this. I, uh, it's not doing anything mystical or magical. It's not making us closer to God. Uh, it's not for God. It's for us to remind us of what he did and to demonstrate the fact that, yes, I believe this with you, all of you, my brothers and sisters in Christ. We all believe this. We partake in this together. The fact that we trust in Christ alone for our salvation. But notice also there's something else to it that Paul uh, introduces the idea of. 1 Corinthians eleven twenty-seven. 27. Uh, when he is speaking of the communion table, it needs to be done in a, in a certain way. And it needs to be done realizing that what you're doing in partaking is, is very important and should be done in a solemn way because you're demonstrating your faithfulness to God in partaking in this. And when you do it in a way that isn't pleasing to him, there are consequences. 1 Corinthians eleven twenty seven. Therefore, whoever eats the bread or drinks the cup of the Lord in an unman, unworthy manner shall be guilty of the blood and the, the body and the blood of the Lord. But a man must examine himself, and in so doing he is to eat of the bread and drink of the cup. For he who eats and drinks, eats and drinks judgment to himself if he does not judge the body rightly for this reason many among you are weak and sick and a number asleep so uh there's more to it than just saying uh yeah sure i believe that uh and participating in communion same thing for john oh yeah uh, sure uh strong angel give me the book i'll eat it and it's all good no <laughs> by doing this you're you are saying yes i believe this and I am going to be faithful to 
you, Lord, and what I'm finding in your word. And as was mentioned earlier, uh, it's sweet in the mouth and bitter in his stomach. He's receiving God's word. That's, that's the sweetness of it. The bitterness is the outcome. What we are uh, moving into in Revelation in chapters 16, 17, 18, into 19 is, is horrendous to say, to, to put it mildly, the, the bitterness of these judgments is uh, going to be even more than anything that we've already, already seen. And notice also, finally, that he is told to prophesy again. Verse 11, And they said to me, You must prophesy again concerning many peoples and nations and tongues and kings. That, that little word, they, is kind of easy to, to gloss over, and that's an indication, I think, again, that this is, this is coming from God, uh, the Trinity, three persons in one, God the Father, God the Son, God the Holy Spirit. They're all there in heaven in this scene throughout the entirety of the book of, of Revelation and what John is receiving. And that's why he's going to say, they said to me, you must prophesy again concerning the many peoples, nations, tongues, and kings. It is a, a message for the entire world that is being delivered. New information being given about these future events. Now, when uh, the Old Testament prophets or the Israelite prophets are prophesying concerning future events like Jeremiah, talking about the tribulation like Daniel and Jeremiah and Ezekiel, they are laser focused on the nation of Israel. That makes a lot of sense. That's who they're writing to about this period of time. And so when we come to the book of Revelation, we don't just throw out everything that's already been described in the Old Testament. Uh, we're not canceling the Old Testament because we have the New Testament. We're adding to the, what has been revealed in the Old Testament with what we see in the New Testament. So when we read the book of Revelation, don't forget Israel uh, because after all, they are the main player in God's plan, as we have learned, for carrying out these judgments. They are his people, his vehicle for bringing the kingdom to the world. It is Israel. And that's why uh, it's important to keep that in mind as we're reading Revelation. We don't just forget everything about the Old Testament in understanding Revelation. Uh, and also that last little word of the, of the chapter, Kings, a message to the Kings, just like it was in Jesus's time. He went to the authorities. He went to the Pharisees, the Sadducees, the Sanhedrin to try to convince them that he is the Christ because as they go, so go the people generally same kind of thing in, in our uh, world today. As uh, kings go, so go the people. As the leadership is, the leadership is good and righteous and uh, following after the things of God, uh, the country is probably going to be on pretty good footing. If, if the king or leaders are going after immorality, uh, going after uh, ill-gotten gains financially, they're concerned with these kinds of things. Well, yeah, country's probably going to fall apart. Uh, and so John has a message for the kings because they are are very important in in all of this. As we can see in our own world today, uh, we are in some pretty dire straits as, as the leaders of the world go after their own thing instead of the interests of the people. A message for another time. <laughs> we made it through an entire chapter. 
of the book of Revelation today. I, that we should be pretty happy with ourselves. And barely over an hour, too, so that's, that's pretty good. Uh, so Revelation chapter 10, the angel and the book. An, another strong angel, an angel of, a, of a, a similar kind but different, or the same kind but distinct from those that have come before. It's not Jesus, it is an angel. We saw the, the voice of God revealing something to John uh, that was sealed up for a time. We have this solemn statement, God is going to accomplish his uh, mission for the world, if you will. And John is recommissioned to be the one who gives this message to the world. Let's go to him in prayer. Dear Heavenly Father, we thank you for this ancient text, the book of Revelation, that still, uh, even though some some parts may not seem to pertain to us directly, they're still uh, very important for us. Everything that we find in your Bible is instructive to us and is for us, and we thank you for it. We thank you that you are going to accomplish your purpose in this world. We thank you that the death, burial, and resurrection of Christ has already happened. We are so privileged to live in this time in which we are living where sin has been dealt with. We thank you that the gospel is revealed to us and that it is simple, that we can simply trust in what you have done for us. We thank you that you have given us your Holy Spirit who can help us and guide us, who is specifically made to help us and guide us uh, in, in this world and direct, to direct our, our path in this world. I pray that your Holy Spirit would do that work in our lives, convicting us of sin, convicting us where we need to change and be more aligned with your word. We thank you for the forgiveness of sins that we have simply by asking you for it. And I just pray, Lord, that we would do that, that we as your people would keep a short accounts with you, that we would confess our sins knowing that you are faithful, that you are righteous, that you are just, and you will forgive us of our sins. I pray, Lord, that you would go with us in these days to come, uh, that you would be with those who are hurting, help them both physically and spiritually, those who are hurting. I just pray that you would encourage our hearts, remind us of the truths of your word in the, these days to come. And we pray that your will would be done in our lives. We ask in Jesus' name. Amen.